You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation where we are strutting our way through the Disney animated canon in syncopated rhythm, like a pack of animated dogs flouncing through Times Square, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom, ever sniffing for even a broken pocket watch's worth of awe, wonder, and understanding into how these films shape our imaginations that we can pawn off on you to satisfy our overlords at the Christian Humanist Network. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today, we are creating a fender bender out of the 27th movie in the canon, 1988's Oliver and Company. My co-host, he knows the world is watching, so he does what one must. Some minor adjustments, darling. Not for his vanity, but for humanity. It's Michael Farmer. Perfect isn't easy, Josh, but it is me. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So, um... I think this is the first movie you ever saw in the theater. Uh, well, you know, I checked on that, and it's the first movie I remember seeing, but my mother informs me that Care Bears 2 is the first movie I ever saw in the theater. Nice. My my children love Care Bears 2, um, much to my... Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't love Care Bears 2, but my I must have does. watched it 800 times when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it since then. I suspect, uh, I suspect I'd be on your side. <laughs> yeah. It's a little treacly, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, yeah, actually... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, we don't need to talk about Care Bears 2, but it is, um, <laughs> it does not make any sense. <laughs> anyway, so this, is the, this <laughs> is the first movie I could remember seeing in the theater, although I didn't remember much else about it. I, I had seen it one more time since then, maybe like 2007, um, but I, I did not remember large chunks of this movie. Yeah. And the things I did remember, I had confused with All Dogs Go to Heaven. Mm. Yeah, we're at relatively same time period. I think All Dogs Come to Heaven, go to he- sorry, All Dogs Go to Heaven, is I think that one was head to head with um, Little Mermaid. I was believe. It? Okay, so it I was believe. was close then, wasn't it? Because we're only a year yeah. out of Little Mermaid. Yeah, this one was head to head with uh, The Land Before Time, and it was the first time that two animated movies were like open in the box office at the same time, which is crazy to me. And Oliver and Company won rather handily, didn't it? In the long run, I think initially it was behind. But okay. I think in the long run, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think in the long run it it, it won rather handily. But uh, it lost the sequel that, race though, because Land Before Time has like forty five sequels. That's right, and <laughs> I think for the better, this one does not have any. That's right. There's no there's no sequel to Oliver and Company. I don't know what they would do. They could they could do one based on Great Expectations instead of Oliver Twist. <laughs> It'll happen soon enough. Soon enough, this this will actually be there will be a live action version of this movie. I'm sure on Disney Plus at least. Oh man! So. Did 
have you i you you still don't have disney plus do you know anyone who's seen the live action uh lady in the tramp i know i i have not talked to anyone about it i don't know if anyone has seen it somebody did somebody i know did and said it was just terrible it looked awful yeah well this is what we keep saying (laughs) stop stop watching these movies people and let's stop making them (laughs) demand that bob Iger take a risk (laughs) yeah so um yeah but yeah, so this movie came out in 88. I don't know if I saw it or not. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. And then uh, it was re-released in 96. And I'm, I maybe I saw it then, or at least I remember the marketing campaign, I think, or the heavy marketing campaign at that time. Or may, I don't know if I remember the marketing campaign from 88 or 96, but def- definitely I was I was well aware of this movie. But I, I didn't really remember much of it. Yeah. Um, I remember. I watched, Why should I worry? And I remembered, yes. if this is torture, chain me to the wall. Because that, that, that yes. must have been in the commercials, because I remember hearing that, that line 3,000 times. Yes, that was the line that was in the commercial like 3,000 times. And I think I have like this weird, like this is why I'm not sure if I knew this from the 88 version or the 96 version, because um, I remember being confused by that line, like not quite understanding what it was. Like it seemed a little, uh, I don't know, risque or something to me. At the time, <laughs> I didn't quite get it, you know. To be fair, know. much of what Tita says is a little risque. <laughs> yeah. Victoria so. said she remembered the Happy Meal toys better than the movie, which was that's that's a that's not a uh, that's not a praising statement, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's not. Faint praise, but <clears throat> but yeah, um, and yeah, uh, I think because the song that I remember is "Why Should I Worry," I always think that this is a. Uh, Billy Joel musically driven film, mm-hmm. which I think I even I think I even said that when this movie came up uh, movies ago, but it's not. He has one song in it. Yep. <laughs> That's it. And, and I think the original plan it, it, was to have a different famous person sing each of the songs. So Huey Lewis sings the kind of Christopher Cross esque opening song "Once Upon a Time in New York City," and Ruth Pointer sings a song and. So I think that was the plan all along. But yeah, I had I had also remembered this as being a Billy Joel musical. Yeah. I think uh, you and I have different opinions on Billy Joel, I know. Um, wait, wait, do you like him or not like him? I do like him. Yeah, I like Billy Joel. You have to, oh, okay. I, I feel like you have to accept Billy Joel for what he is, which is a kind of <laughs> cheesy Broadway-type songwriter. But I think what he does, he does really remarkably well for about 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like this it maybe would have been a better movie if it had been just Billy Joel songs. But uh, but but let me let me give you the counterpoint to that. The first half hour of this movie, where which is dominated by the Billy Joel performances, Dodger is terrible, like awful. Uh, half an hour into this movie, I thought, <laughs> oh my god, this is worse than the Aristocats, uh, and it ended up not being. And I think part of it is that poor old Billy Joel loses the spotlight a bit. Mm. Because if this were a movie that were all Billy Joel songs and it was about Dodger, the coolest dog in New York City in 1988, I I, I don't know that I could have made it all the way through it. I, that that the first the first 20 30 minutes of this movie is just awful. Do you disagree with that? Yeah. Uh, it's a very fair counterpoint. Yeah, definitely, it's a very fair counterpoint. And I mean, I, that's nothing I, against Billy Joel as a songwriter, uh, but it is against Billy Joel as a voice actor. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. I, for me, it wasn't so much the voice acting as like the I, I don't know like he's supposed to be 
what he's supposed to be more like Tramp, I think, yeah. from like Lady and the Tramp, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And Tramp has the kind of classic, um, I don't know, uh, Han Solo story arc, you know, mm-hmm. like he's the, the the lovable scoundrel. I think they even call Dodger a lovable scoundrel in this. Um, but then he goes, he, you know, he goes through this redemption. I, I don't know what it is with this uh, Dodger character, but you're right. It just doesn't, uh, it doesn't resonate in the same way well, for I, some p- reason. Part of it, I think, is that it's, its notion of what it is to be cool is very stuck in 1988. Yeah. And I mentioned this a bit, I think, when we talked about the Black Cauldron, about the Michael Eisner effect. Uh, where, where he goes in, at least to the parks, and he takes uh, the wonderfully corny, old-fashioned uh, Enchanted Tiki Room attraction and turns it into a totally radical uh, 1990s alternative attitude-based uh, show starring Zazu and Iago. And I, I think, really, you, I feel Michael Eisner behind this Dodger character. Like, can't we do things that make him more up-to-date um, but the problem is the things they do to make him up to date now make him feel very, very out of date and very, very uncool. His catchphrase is absolutely puzzlingly, um, which we're supposed to think <laughs> is cool, except that Ned Flanders says that on The Simpsons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just no there's no way to hear that in in 2019 and think, oh, well, there's a 2020 by the time this airs. Um, th- there's a cool there's a cool customer, you know. No, he's 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 stuck in this outdated notion of what it is to be cool, and probably even then it was weak because it's aimed at children, and you can only show him doing so many things to be cool. So I think I think that character suffers from the writing aspect, and then Billy Joel, who you know for all his strengths is not an actor. I, I think he can't elevate the character beyond that. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. I was I, yeah, I'm wondering if it's. If it's watching it with 2019, 2020 eyes, or if it was, or if it was weak in 1988, I really don't remember. Yeah, well, uh, I loved it, so I, I, it must have worked on me in 1988. But it'll surprise you to learn I was not terribly cool as a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Dodger. I don't, I don't know. You know, the one scene where he's watching the baseball game and he, the the sunglasses are like reflecting the Ooh. the television. <laughs> Ooh. Man, he's so cool. <laughs> I cannot believe, though, I can't believe that they missed the opportunity for him to call Jenny an uptown girl. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right? I kept waiting yeah. for it. And he says uptown. He says you're like the in the uptown branch of our gang or whatever. But, like, I I can't believe they, they missed that opportunity because uptown girl was, what, 83, 84? Like, I don't know. That was my... That was my favorite song when I was a kid. I I had a I had a cassette tape of like Billy Joel's greatest hits, and I like just wore that that song out. That's like, a great song. <laughs> play, rewind, play, rewind. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, well, they should. I, I I can't believe they didn't reference it. I don't know if it would have been better or worse if they had. But anyway, Dodger to me is the absolute weakest part of this movie. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I couldn't I I couldn't get past the visuals on this movie. Like v- I feel very like ugly. It's yeah, it's super ugly. I didn't I didn't like any of the character design. And I understand that they were trying to push a little bit and do something different. Like they didn't want it to look like all the other dogs that they've ever done. But <clears throat> man, I I just I I don't know what they did. <laughs> so so would you say it's primarily a problem with the character design or with the animation 
or uh, uh, I think so for the humans, I would definitely say it's design. Actually, the yeah. dogs aren't as bad as the humans. The humans are really like just like uh, what's his name? The main the main guy, Fen- Fagan. Fagan, yeah. Fagan is I don't, I don't even know how to describe him. Like he doesn't he he's he he doesn't have any weight to him at all, or gra- mm-hmm. you know, like no gravity whatsoever. Like he's just a he's boxes on and then a and an ugly face on top of the boxes. Like I don't understand um, why they drove drew him the way that he did. Or the first human that you really interact with is uh, Larry, I think. Louis. The, oh, Louis. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, <laughs> Louis, the the hot dog stand guy. Man, that guy looks. I don't, I don't even know. Like it's just this very. They, I mean, it's obviously a style that they were going for. Like it's purposely, it's like purposely bad. I think the 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 Ren and Stimpy guys were upset about this movie because they felt like it was like knocking off their style. I think. Well, it couldn't have been that right because Ren and Stimpy comes out after this. Oh, but well, who did they? Sorry, it's not. It's here. It's uh, the oh, <clears throat> sorry, the Ren and Stimpy show creator John Crick. Falusi suggested the film was derivative of Ralph Bakshi's work. I don't know who Ralph Bakshi is. I don't either. Yeah, but they said it was derivative of that. So that's where I got my I got my wires crossed there. It, it but, feels very um, Saturday morning cartoon to me in terms of the animation style. That that is actually I I wrote that right in my notes. This feels like Saturday morning cartoons, and it's not just the animation style. It's it's also the like the pacing of the movie feels Saturday morning cartoons. Tell me more. Like one minute. Well, like one minute they're like when they so when they first get into the your first time on the barge or whatever, and like one minute they're they're actively and the second they're like oh dog pile and like they're all jumping in and, and wrestling with each other. I don't know, it's just that sort of um, like super cheesy. Um, we don't know if we're animals or we're not animals. Like I I don't know. Like it just it it just felt cheap. It just felt really really cheap. Like. Mm-hmm. Like what I and will you compare it to something cartoon. like Lady and the Tramp, where they they really go out of their way to make the dogs act like dogs? Mm-hmm. Here, yeah, there is a real blending of whether they're dogs or humans. You get Tito driving the car. Actually, it's a lot of Tito. Tito holds a pen at one point, I think, as if he had an opposable thumb. And I mean, that's fine. Like there's there's movies where there's anthropomorphic animals and they're anthropomorphic animals, but this one wants it both ways. Like you said, that, that sometimes they're dogs and sometimes they're little people. Yeah. So that's that's I think what where I where I felt it the most as far as like the Saturday morning car- cartoon thing, um, although but sometimes to, to to that point that you were just making like sometimes I think it's they do it quite well like um, they when um, <laughs> I'm sorry I forgot his name again what's his name the F- Fagan. Fagan, Fagan, thank you. Um, when he comes in and uh, they're trying to comfort him, and they're all grabbing the, you know, they're grabbing a blanket and they're pulling the lamp over in the book. They want him to read him the book, and they're putting the, the slippers on him and all that stuff. Like I felt like that was really well done, and like mm-hmm. the dog lifts up his legs by like going under his legs and then standing up. Um, and then I feel like it's called back at the at the end of the movie. They uh, when they're rescuing uh, the little girl, Jenny. They uh, they kind of dress up as the pizza guy or whatever, which again just mm-hmm. feels very Saturday morning cartoon. But it also I felt like at that in that particular moment it worked because you'd seen them interacting with furniture and this sort of stuff before in order to kind of you know um, I felt like I felt like that one actually worked. 
But then it was at other times where it just it went into this really cheesy zone that just felt like I, I don't know it didn't it didn't feel feature film to me. The the rules of the universe as far as human animal interaction seem uh, ill defined. I think is is part of the problem. Mm. So Georgette seems to be some sort of celebrity. She's on the cover of Time magazine. Is she a pet or is she like the owner of the house? It's it's difficult to tell. She she has this enormous room where she has a mirror and all this other stuff and photographs of all her admirers. It, that that's really strange to me and it's not it's not well put together. So you end up asking questions that you wouldn't you wouldn't ask if the movie had better defined rules. Yeah. And Oliver's really a pet, but but Jenny doesn't seem to be able to understand him, whereas I don't know if Fagin can understand the dogs or if he's just a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole Fagin storyline is is just, it's so weird. Like, it's just really weird because he's this, like, uh, he's being chased by this loan shark um, because he can't pay him back. And his he... He sends his dogs to go pickpocket or whatever, but his dogs obviously have no idea of what is valuable. Like it's just, it doesn't make any sense at all. I don't know. It's uh, it's a it's. We well, see how he got in debt in the first yeah, place. I guess. I, guess. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, in some ways it's comedic. I'm laughing about it, but in other ways it's like it's like you said. Like they don't they don't do enough to draw you into the universe, so you're not just asking questions. Like, wait a second. <laughs> what's the plan here (laughs) like with the limo scene like what what are they planning to do with the limo like um, oh they're stealing the um they're stealing the radio okay (laughs) yeah tita tita's gonna lift the radio and they're gonna sell it i got that one that's the one place where they seem to actually know what they're doing (laughs) okay and i missed it (laughs) so i mean i knew he was doing something with uh with the electronics but i didn't quite didn't quite catch what was ha- what was supposed to be happening there. I enjoyed that state of the art uh, stereo system in the limo, which is you know thirty five years old at this mm-hmm. point, thirty years old at this point. Yeah, I will say the insides of the cars were really nicely done with the. Uh, I mean, because we see several of them, like we see the limo, we see the inside of uh, the the shark. Um, Sykes. Sykes. Yeah, we see his car, um, and we see. Um, Oh, maybe those are the only two. I feel like there's another car that we see the inside of. But yeah, it, it definitely I I had the feel of uh of being inside a, you know I I I've never rode around in luxury vehicles in the 80s, but like <laughs> you get that sort of there's that I don't know there's that sense of oh yeah this this feels right you know. Yeah, it, it felt like an 80s mm-hmm. car. Yeah, the fancy uh, power windows. <laughs> Very exciting. I don't. I mean, I remember when the, my first car, which was an '89 Maxima, had um, hand cranked windows. Yeah, yeah. I, my my first few cars had hand cranked windows. Hand cranked. We kind of jumped all over the place there. I don't know where to go next. <laughs> well, why don't we talk about the other members of the gang? Because that's when once they got back to their home base and you, you kind of met the other people. I, I started to warm up on this movie a little bit, and in particular, uh, I liked. Francis the Bulldog. Yeah, Francis the Bulldog. Go, go ahead, keep going. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say he was he was definitely one of my favorites. Also, um, he's got an amazing line when the Dobermans come in and they're they're threatening them, and he says it's rather dangerous to use one's entire vocabulary in one sentence. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you picked up on this. He's watching a production of Macbeth <laughs> when uh, when we first meet him. Yeah, I did. I didn't catch that. Is there some? Uh, oh, sorry. Is there some link there to, or just? Oh no, I don't think so. Other than this is based on another classic English uh, story. Yeah. But Do- Dodger's only concern is, d- did he get the girl? Which uh, not really what Macbeth is interested yeah. in. Yeah. Getting one of the messages of Macbeth is getting the girl might be bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. My kids like that scene because uh, Tito pops up and says, "This is so boring." <laughs> Do, you, do your kids they like Tito? Him. I remember loving yeah, Tito. They love Tito. Yeah. Yeah, they love And he kind of won me over. He's There's too much of him. They they go to that well too much because he's such a, a loud, big character um, that um, when when he when he appears, the energy kind of gets sucked out of the room and into him. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he did end up winning me over. I laughed at a lot of a, a lot of his lines. Yeah. Played by Cheech Moran, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. I've got a quote here from uh, who's it from? Charles Solomon. Uh, I guess he's an animation historian, and he wrote. Uh, speaking of Tito, the character's impudent dance is one of the most polished bits of animation the Disney Studio has produced in years. <laughs> so, which I think I kind of agree. Like, there wasn't a lot of really nice animation in this movie, but after after reading that, I went back and looked at his little dance number, and it, it is quite quite nice. It must be hard to animate a dog salsa dancing. I would think so. And they, I mean, they get the full spin in there too, so you're getting the, you know, at, uh, the perspective is is constantly changing. So. I, I saw um, Einstein, the Great Dane, was not a terribly interesting character. Yeah. Underwritten. Yeah, definitely. And I've a, I yeah, I was reading an interview with the director and he said the same. He said that that was one of his regrets was that Einstein didn't really come out as a uh, as anything, you know. And he's actually oh. absent in a lot of the big set pieces in the movie late later in the movie. He's mm. he's just kind of not around. He certainly doesn't have any lines. Yeah. You have Rita the Tina Turner dog. Mhm. Who is fine, I guess. It, I, here, too, I think the movie suffers in comparison to Lady and the Tramp, because I think Rita is clearly in that Peg mold, but Peg is a more interesting performance than Rita is, to my eyes, anyway. Yeah, Rita just doesn't really... I'm trying to think if there's anything that she really does in the movie, in particular. I mean, she has a song, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ruth Pointer sings her song. Yeah. But no, she's she's just kind of there to be street smart and tough and yeah, and, and soften up the gang a little bit. I think yeah, <clears throat> it's really the Tito and Georgette movie. Yeah, in, in some ways it really is. Georgette, uh, we should mention, is played by Bette Midler. I don't like Bette Midler mostly, but uh, <laughs> that it's a really fantastic performance. She just goes all in for it. She plays up the. Uh, the Bette Midler persona, the divine Miss M uh, persona that she, she's been doing for 40 years now. And, uh, she is, she is very, very funny in this movie. Yeah. Although my favorite part with her is that like her barking is just, yes. Bark, bark, bark. (laughs) (laughs) 
which I think is totally appropriate for that character because, mm-hmm. like you said, like what what is what is her her relationship with humans or whatever. But um, yeah, she, the fact that she her her bark sounds like a human barking. Really I liked that her dog bed has a circular staircase going up to it. Oh yeah, that's really it's special. Elevated, it has a curtain that comes up. I, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. So credit, a couple... where credit is due to Bette Midler. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Some of that set piece stuff, like the uh, the circular bed, and then there's the circular staircase, and um, like they're they're obviously using their new um, computer animation chops. Like they're doing mm-hmm. some some. Uh, it it looks it looks really dated now watching yeah. it. Like, <laughs> but in '88, it must have been amazing. It must have been amazing, and even still, like the camera moves are like nothing that we've seen so far as we've been watching through this. You know, like I know that we'll we'll see more camera moves like this in the future to the point where basically there's there's no distinguishing between actually the or sorry the animated camera moves probably get more crazy than live action camera moves because um, they can do anything. Yeah, because yeah, because it gets to the possibility where you can do anything. But at this point. Um, we haven't seen a lot of crazy uh, camera moves, and but this this uh, movie has has a few of them, a few of those the spinning things and uh, the the circular stairs and the circular bed and stuff definitely plays into that. But yeah, they they make much heavier use of it than they did in Great Mouse Detective and mm-hmm. uh, and Black Cauldron, both of which have I think just one shot that's clearly computer generated. I think. The vast majority of the shots of Sykes's car and Fagin's whatever you want to call that thing, he bicycle that he rides around on. I mm-hmm. think the vast majority of those are computer animated. Yeah, I, I believe that's right. And then also all the background stuff, like all the background cars, like all the background taxis and stuff like that, is all computer animated as well. Definitely that whole last subway chase scene has got to be all computer animated. I think. And I mean, maybe that's what connects this movie to the past, ironically, more than anything about the story or the specifics of the animation. Because, I mean, all the way back to the beginning, um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is able to happen because the Disney company invents or is one of the very first users of the multiplane camera. So it's it's always been a question of technological innovation. And, and they're still pushing that forward here in 1988, and they're going to push it forward even more in the next 10, 15 years of Disney movies. Yeah, and that's a, a a very cool through line for the company, even even when they're under new management or under new. I don't know. It's funny you it's, should say that. That's that's what Michael Eisner called the new Enchanted Tiki Room under new management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally radical new management. Yeah. Absolutely, positively. Yeah. But this is the first, I think this is the first movie that went into production under the Eisner-Katzenberg duo team. Yes. So, um, so you really, you see their, you see their, their imprint on things like, uh, yeah, each song being a major pop star and like, uh, like that's, that's their influence. But then, uh, that, yeah, that connection to the past, I think is, that they they at least know enough of what they have that they that they they lean on it a little bit you know like how do we mm-hmm. keep pushing this forward so that's cool yeah again credit where credits due that's good 
I thought the movie really picked up though uh, when Jenny showed up, and and I didn't expect to like this because I, I you know I, I have a kind of mild distaste for her counterpart Penny in the Rescuers, and and mm-hmm. I, I think we mentioned this in the Rescuers episode. This was supposed to be a sequel to the Rescuers. Jenny was supposed to be Penny, um, and you know they just kind of renamed her. <laughs> But I, I found her character uh, much more effective than I found Penny and much more believable as a kid. She, she's a little brattier than Penny is. She makes that big mess in the kitchen and she kind of does what she wants, even if Winston won't let her. She's she's not wholly good, but she's still sweet and you still feel for her. I thought I thought it was really fairly well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. feel bad for her. She's got no no parent. I mean, she has parents, but they're they're absent. <laughs> right. Like yeah. It's, it's in some ways like, well, I don't know. It's not worse than being an orphan. Obviously, being an orphan is worse, but like to to have and not have at the same time is always kind of kind of a tricky situation to be in, you know. So, but you you see you see immediately why she would bond with Oliver, this this kind of forgotten kitten. Mhm. And you see, you see why they love each other so much, and I, th- I thought that was well done. And, and I, I was really moved when she showed up to pay the ransom that Fagin demanded with her piggy bank. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was coming. I knew they were going to do it, and I know that it was a sentimental move designed to make me, uh, to, to make me cry. It didn't make me cry, but it did make me. It, I, I really, I really felt that moment in a way that I didn't expect to. Yeah. That's surprising to me. I feel like you're immune to those moments. <laughs> I usually am, but you know, our our cat Smirjukov, who was an orange cat, died just a, uh, about a month ago. So I, I think uh, I, I think I'm kind of vulnerable right now to yeah. cat related sentimentality. Yeah, I bet you are. You've had that cat for a long time. Uh, Seventeen years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. Ah, uh, that's all right. You know, he was old, but that that did make me kind of more ready to receive Oliver and company than I might have otherwise been. Because mm-hmm. Ginny is the type of character I normally hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This I, I, of... I really did think they gave her enough sharp edges to, to make her not as one note as the kind of cutesy kids in these movies sometimes are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, do you agree with me? Feel free to call me a sentimental old fool, Josh. No, I, I would not. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I, I didn't have a lot of opinion on Jenny, I guess, um, one way or another. I thought, yeah, I mean, I felt bad for her. And you're right, the, the scene. Well, I actually in the in the scene you were talking about, I feel a little worse for Fagin, um, uh-huh. because he's, he's counting on this thing, and you know that Sykes is right over there. Um, but then also you know that he's going to take the girl. Like it doesn't it doesn't take long to figure out like oh he'll just take the girl and hold her for ransom, which actually makes sense rather than holding a cat for ransom. You're um, so dumb, I am, Josh. I did not uh, I did not <laughs> know that was going to happen. <laughs> no, you were just in the moment, which I think is really good. We we both have to take our turns on these things because I didn't see in the Black Cauldron. I didn't I didn't see. Uh, What's his name? That other guy you hated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> I am really bad with names tonight. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, um, yeah. So then, then I was concerned for her, you know, when, when, uh, when she gets taken. When Sykes is set up effectively as a bad guy, so that you, I, I had no trouble believing that he would kill a kid, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, Sykes is pretty terrifying. Um, There's no comedy whatsoever in his presentation. Usually the bad guys in these movies, even even the scariest bad guys, have are, are kind of goofy in a way that that softens them. There's nothing mm-hmm. goofy or soft about Sykes. He's really uh, he's really a, a very threatening villain. Yeah. His phone call is... <laughs> he's like... What's he you say? start with you the knuckles? Yeah, you start with the knuckles. <laughs> that made me laugh really hard when, it, uh, when when Fagan comes in and we overhear that piece of the phone call. Yeah. I mean, I know I mean, it's supposed to be that, scary. Well, I, I think it, maybe it's supposed to be... The, that. Maybe that's his comedic bit, you know? Is that, but it's, it's a comedic bit about how threatening he is, not about yeah. how not about how goofy and ineffective he is. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty... He's pretty scary. And the Dobermans are very scary. You feel uh, quite strongly that they would enjoy eating Oliver. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think almost to the... I think this is this goes back to your original, like, what are the rules of this universe? They feel almost a little too real for the rest of the story. You know? Like, they're... Um, like whatever Fagan's deal is, you know that they've softened it a lot for this movie. You know whatever whatever's put him in into the the state that he's gotten himself into, uh, you don't really see it at all. Um, where whereas with Sykes, that it's not softened at all in any way. Right. Right. He's a he's a he's almost like a Coen Brothers villain. You know the Coen Brothers love these kind of unstoppable, unstoppable forces of evil often sitting behind desks. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like Sykes, uh, Sykes is out of that universe rather than out of, um, out of the Disney universe. Now I haven't read, um, I haven't read Oliver Twist, so I don't know if the, the equivalent of Sykes, who I think it's just called Sykes in that novel is, is like that or not. I know that Fagin is softer for this movie than he is in the novel, but I don't know much about Sykes. So it'd be interesting to know if he just, if they just took him from the source material and that's why he feels, uh, so different than some of the other villains. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't, uh, I also did not read the novel. I think that was also an interesting choice that they made to take the novel and, um, but only animal, like turn into animals some of the characters. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be a very different movie if Fagin was also an animal. And, like, I mean, I guess if Fagin was more in the Dodger role, you know, as the head of the gang still, but was, was a dog himself. And then, but I don't know. I don't know what I- Sykes would be in that. I think what they scenario. did was turn the adult characters in Oliver Twist into humans and the child characters into animals. So Jenny in the novel is a man who adopts Oliver. So even even though she's a child in the movie in the novel, she is an adult. So I think what they did was take the adult characters and turn them into human beings. Yeah. Because in the, in the book, I believe Fagin is like the, the leader of this gang of pickpocket children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes a lot more sense than pickpocket dogs. <laughs> yes. They should have just gone with uh, monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't want to be too hard on it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but like maybe that's maybe that's the, supposed to be the appeal of it, you know? Like I don't want to miss the miss the appeal for like 
whatever. Like maybe that it's just supposed to be funny. Like maybe I'm just supposed to be laughing at it. But. Well, your kids loved it, right? Like how did they how did they respond to it? Well, they really liked Tito. I don't know okay. if they I don't know how much they picked up on the rest of the plot line. Like I mean, they're pretty good at following plot. Like, but they didn't really talk about that. You know, like they really laughed at Tito. They thought that he was just hilarious and. Um, yeah, they they were quoting. I think she likes me all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let so. them go out and do that voice in public, okay? <laughs> yeah, they weren't really doing the voice. They haven't really, um, yeah, they haven't really managed voices yet. A little bit here and there, but yeah, they have they have different. They have their own little voices that they do, you know. So you can tell like when they're imitating something, but they don't they don't really have the imitation of another person down yet. So, um. So yeah, Tito. Tito, they really liked. They thought Tito was hilarious, but but they didn't care about the rest of it. But yeah, overall, I'm not sure how much they love this movie. So, I mean, they really like Cats right now, and so I'm sure they liked Oliver. But but there's not much in Oliver to like, right? He doesn't have a whole lot of personality. He's kind of the 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 center of the movie in the way that a, the eye of a hurricane is the center of the hurricane, you know, that yeah. everything, everything is about him, but he's more of a MacGuffin than a lead character. Yeah, that's right. Actually. And I think that now that you said that that's, this goes back to, so the beginning of the movie, um, that you did not enjoy, um, when, when Dodger is, you know, uh, singing his song and, and talking about how great he is, um, uh, Oliver actually keeps up with him pretty much beat for beat, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, all, uh, Dodger's not able to dodge him, <laughs> you know, to say it that way. Like he follows him all the way back to his barge. And so I think in that, in that, in that beginning of the movie, Oliver actually has much more of a personality that you can root for, but then he loses it once he becomes part of the gang. Once he becomes part of the gang, he gets overshadowed by, like you said, like he becomes a MacGuffin and uh, Tito becomes a stronger character. Georgette is a stronger character. And so you you really lose his um, – I mean he swipes the Doberman and gives them the, you know, the claw marks. And then he, he plays the hero's role at the end. Um, he's fighting Sykes so that Jenny can get away um, and even kind of sacrifices himself, I guess. But, it, man, this – there's a couple points in this movie that just go by too fast, and that's one of them. So Sykes, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to skip. We've been skipping all over anyway, so it doesn't matter. Sykes grabs grabs Oliver. Oliver's like on Sykes' back and chucks him, and you don't see where he chucks him. They're on a bridge with a train coming, and then the next moment, Sykes gets uh, hit by the train, and then so you don't know what's happened to Dodger and Oliver, but they don't even give you time to really reflect on that or think about that or you know um because he throws him just right before the train hits so so then it's overshadowed by the fact that Sykes sits by the train you don't really catch the sacrifice in that moment and then uh they roll back down the whatever that's called on the bridge the suspension cable and they get down there and uh she says Oliver and I guess you're supposed to think he's dead but he doesn't I I don't know. Just how did how did that did that part of the movie resonate with you also? Were you no? I and and in were fact, you feeling I, the the whole chase scene is so bonkers that I had trouble taking it seriously emotionally. And if you compare the the scene you're talking about, where you think supposedly you think that Oliver is dead, if you compare that to the much more effective but similar 
sequence at the end of the Jungle Book, I, I think you really see how poorly this movie handles it. Because at the end of the Jungle Book, when Baloo is has has been attacked by Shere Khan, it is perfectly reasonable to believe that they would kill him, right? I mean, Disney's not above killing mentor figures in their movies. Uh, but the movie's called Oliver and Company, and it, it just, this is a pretty dark movie for Disney, but no matter how dark it is, they're not gonna kill a little girl's kitten, uh, at the end of the movie. You know what I mean? So, so you, you, you don't really feel the stakes, even apart from the way it's all shot and, and how difficult it is to follow that scene. Yeah. They should have done it with Dodger, I think. And, and it, for, for a minute it looks like they're going to when, um, when he and, uh, Fagin go and tell Sykes about the plan with the cat. The the Dobermans attack Dodger, and it looks like he's died. And mm. but they don't really they don't really do much with that. They don't play that for emotion the way you would expect them to. I don't know. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't play it at all because you see him laying there, and you see Fagin look over at him, and then they just move on, and then he's fine the next time you see him. Right, right. He doesn't even have any scars, I don't think, or any. He doesn't have a black no. eye or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And the the whole chase scene through the subway, it's such a funny thing to to complain about, but it just it's too unrealistic. This is a movie set in something approaching the real world. Dogs don't speak English. Uh, they they live in a in, in in an actual city. They're going down into the subway on a car and riding on the on the track. I I, I just I. It was, it was a bridge too far for me. <laughs> I know, yeah. and I, I know it's a silly thing to complain about because these are talking dogs or whatever. But there, again, it, it goes back to the, the rules of the universe. So you, you compare it again to a more, to a similar but more effective sequence. This one in 101 Dalmatians when Corella Deville is chasing them with their car and they're on the back of the truck. That, the, the stakes on that, because they're much more realistic, f- feel higher than they do here that this car can just ride on the subway tracks. Um, and that a train hasn't come along before that. The, the trains in New York come every, what, four or five minutes? Maybe it was different in 1988. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, no, I, 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 think, I think it's a really good comparison to go back to 101 Dalmatians because you're right. The car chase scene in that is just as, as uh, what, uh, frantic. Frenetic. And, yeah, frenetic. Yeah. Is that the word? That's, yes. That's what I would say. Yes, and I mean, but just very much more affecting than than this one is. The bridge this, too far for me. Actually, I could follow the car down the subway stairs, uh, but then when it goes onto the track, he for some reason shifts it all the way down to like D two or whatever. <laughs> it's like, like why you're in automatic? Like why are you even shifting? <laughs> and then the rubber wheels. Pop off. Just pop off, yeah. yeah. yeah they just As you know, off. wheels often do. Yeah. Tires often yeah. just fly off your car, all four of them and at what, once. And what you might not know is that underneath the rubber tires, you actually have train. I mean, they're they're at the exact the, the exact uh, size of a of a train track. So then you can just drive on train tracks. Well, it's also that's very actually, fortunate that his car just happened to be the right width. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, yeah, the. the that's that's how they build them. Well, and then that's even if you even them. if you can believe that, uh, <laughs> the idea that Fagin can can somehow go down the tracks in his is it a motorized car, uh, bicycle or is it just a bicycle? Oh yeah, he's got he's got this weird contraption. 
Inception, where he's got like a, a scooter, a motorized scooter on the front end, and he's somehow used like uh, the const- it looks to me like the construction barriers um, to attach a shopping cart to the back of it. Yeah. So he's got like, a little pickup. It's it's actually kind of a cool little vehicle. But yeah, you're right. It it that makes even even less sense than all that stuff that I just said. I mean, <laughs> I'm not how... a physicist, but I'm pretty sure he'd be electrocuted <laughs> by the third rail, right? I mean... <laughs> well, the dogs get electrocuted by the third rail. The Dobermans do. A genuinely right? gruesome sequence. Yeah. It, yeah. This whole thing is... So, not to be too punny, but the movie totally goes off the rails in, in, the, <laughs> in the last act. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Again, it's it's. I'm complaining about a children's cartoon not making sense, but it doesn't make sense in the rules of the universe they've set up. If this is going to be a kind of dark, gritty movie, you've got to have something that makes some sort of environmental sense, and this doesn't. It doesn't. It's not cohesive. It it, it it's silly. It, it that is supposed to be scary. And it's supposed to be thrilling, and it's silly instead. Mm-hmm. And again, you compare it to. 101 Dalmatians, which on the whole is a much sillier movie than this, but that the the final chase scene in 101 Dalmatians has an element of uh, of anxiety that this one just doesn't have because this is so silly. Also, I cannot for the life of me figure out how they got off the tracks. At the end, when the train is coming, Fagin yeah, and his somehow... magical shopping cart somehow end <laughs> up on the suspension part of the bridge. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. They just, Maybe it has, like, an ejector seat? I, <laughs> I'm baffled. Yeah. They just turn right right onto that. Uh, the, tr- the truth is they, they need that to happen. They need them to get out of the way, and they didn't want to They didn't want to sit down and figure out how to do it, so they just made them pop up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something like that. You know, the like other that. thing about the subway is, uh, at what time of day is the New York subway not crawling with people? When 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 is the New York City subway sta- uh, station ever empty? The way it's empty when they go down, and I get why it has to be because you don't want Sykes running over some kid uh, when he's going down the stairs. But even at two o'clock in the morning, people are riding the subway in a major city. Yeah, yeah. There's I get that it's pre Giuliani <laughs> and the subways are kind of scary. I get that, but uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have some respect for your audience that's what i'm saying that's right because the rest of the 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 movie is very populated other than in, in the other times yeah yeah it looks like new york except that there's no it's, it's all white people other than that it looks like manhattan i mean the the traffic is right the the crowds are right the the kind of general disinterest is right i, I thought that was actually really well done at the beginning of the movie where nobody cares about i'm just like i mean I've been to New York. I've only been once, but it makes total sense to me that people would just step over a baby kitten on the sidewalk. People don't pay attention to other people or anything else uh, because that's just kind of how you get through life in a city that big. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I they they could have at least had some people dive out of the way. It would it wouldn't have been that difficult. You you don't actually have to make Sykes run over anybody. Although if they if they wanted to go that far and get the PG rating, I think it might have been even more effective just to show you how brutal and callous that guy really is. But what would have been better is not having that be the um not having that be the big action sequence at the end doing something else. Yeah. I wonder that like how much of that was just the constraints of the like, hey, let's do this computer animated because um yeah, like 
computers are really at that time period. Computers are really good at straight lines, <laughs> you know. Oh. So, I mean, they can do the the rotating moves too. Like we see the we see the circle, you know, like the circular staircase and the circular bed that we mentioned earlier. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like if if that if that was part of it, it was just like okay, subway subway tracks, nice and parallel lines. I don't know. I don't know. What's the uh, what's the big ending in Oliver Twist? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know either. I rather suspect it's not a big action sequence, but I don't know what the ending is. Yeah. It is funny. We've done Dickens now twice in a row. Yeah, it is funny. I went through a little Dickens phase in college where I was reading a lot of his stuff, but I don't, I don't think I ever read Oliver Twist. The only thing I've read is Great Expectations and uh, and A Christmas Carol. Oh, that's not sure. I read Hard Times. I read Hard Times in a class. Yeah. So is uh, actually I was going to ask you this, based you know, following up on our conversation last week, is Fagin supposed to be like the noble poor in this one? Like he's they they do some interesting things with him, right? Because he is kind of a villain and kind of not a villain, and I I actually thought that was one of the more effective parts of the movie that this guy who's not a bad guy gets pushed to doing this terrible, terrible thing, and then when he sees how terrible it really is, he he you know saves his soul essentially and decides I'm not going to be that person. So I, I thought that was probably the thing about Fagin that was best done and I, again I don't know I, I suspect that's right out of Oliver Twist mm-hmm. yeah I had the same thought when he sees the piggy bank and he's like oh I can't yeah <laughs> well, because who could he right? Sees the piggy bank. right but then he uh, yeah then he, he goes over and oh look I found this cat here so yeah I, I like the way you said that he basically he saves his soul in that moment because at the and, moment, and he, he, knows he could exactly. have become Sykes, right? I mean, he could have done what Sykes' first thought is, oh, I'll kidnap this girl and hold her for ransom rather than, oh, my God, right. I stole this girl's cat. Yeah. Yeah. And so he I th- knows exactly th- what it's going to cost him. I mean, yep. he's really I, – I felt like for as, as much as I complained at the beginning about how badly he is drawn, I feel like in that scene where where he's really distressed – that that's actually a stronger animated scene for him. Where, oh, and the, and the I mean, performance you can really by Dom DeLuise is good too. I think I think you yeah. have to take like that. His his performance overall in the movie is so so, but he he does a good job in that scene. You really do feel his this probably the biggest moment of crisis in his entire life is: Am I going to am I going to allow myself to be killed by Sykes, or am I going to allow myself to become Sykes? And as he mm-hmm. sees it, I'm sure those are his two choices. And he, he chooses the right one, right? He chooses he chooses to do the right thing, whatever it costs him. Yeah. So we can still love him. Because, it, I mean, very briefly, you love him at the beginning because he's this loser. But then he does this terrible thing, and you think, oh, my gosh, like, what what is what is his character arc going to be in this movie? And, and now we see, you know? So, that, you know, as far as the human characters, that might be the most... That might be the best uh, plot development in the movie. I I'm I can't think of a better one. <laughs> I think that was really, yeah, the way you just said it there was was really nice too. Oh, it it made the it made the movie go up in my estimation just a little bit. <laughs> well, thank you. I also enjoyed Winston and Fagin 
watching the televised wrestling match together and yelling at the screen. I thought that was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Winston is really funny to me because he's like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, what a what a job to have to be just in charge of this little girl who's not yours, you know. But you um, get to live in that giant house. But you live in the giant house. Yeah. And you have a TV in the kitchen, which in 1988 must have felt like crazy luxurious. Right. Meanwhile, the dog also has her own TV while where she watches uh, <laughs> um, exercise videos. Yeah. On the uh, whatever, whatever, uh, what's that called? The the window. Uh, bay window. Yeah, the bay window. So. <laughs> Winston, I, th- I I've never seen the show, but I, I rather suspect he is an expy of Mr. French from A Family Affair. Did you ever see that show? Mm-hmm. No, it's I didn't. It's from the 70s. It's, it's about a kind of stodgy butler who takes care of rich children. On the Mr. Belvedere model, except the Mr. Belvedere children are middle class. Yeah. And there you have another comparison to Aristocats, right? Because Aristocats is about an evil butler, and this is about more or less a good butler. Yeah, more or less. More or he less. Somehow, he, he somehow lets. Uh, he's probably watching the. He's probably watching a fight at night when uh, Jenny Jenny escapes to go uh, to a very dangerous part of town. But that's true. <laughs> yeah, what's he doing? <laughs> Although he seems to be doing the negotiation to uh, pay her ransom to Sykes. Oh, that yeah, well, he must be. Yeah, because he says just get her father on the phone and. Do so. we ever find out what her parents do? I don't remember that. I don't remember that they said anything about it. They were just supposed to be on vacation or something, and or no, they go to a conference at one point. Yeah, in Paris, and then they're moving on to Rome, or yeah, I don't know. The point yeah. is, they're 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 rich and horrible, and and desert their child because she's a drag. Yep, it's pretty bad. No good words for the parents of Jenny. The Foxworths, which in 1988 must have seemed like a very upper class name, but now all I can think of is Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> That's what it is. He's on tour. You think tour. It's, Jeff, it's Jeff Foxworthy? Yeah, he's he's on he's on tour in in Europe, doing a stand up comedy. You think he lives on Fifth Avenue? I don't doubt that he could if he wanted to. Do you know who lived <laughs> at the address on Oliver's tag? <laughs> no, Bette Midler. That's Bette Midler's apartment building. <laughs> really? Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> I'm so glad you knew that I, I read that this that's, morning I thought that was a nice uh, I thought that was a nice touch that's really funny that's really great so where do we stand on this movie Josh is it good like where does it fit into the canon um, I think there are some enjoyable moments and I think the uh, yeah if you focus on the right things in it then it's okay. Like if like the the Fagin scene we just we just broke down. I think if you focus there, there's a lot of good to recommend it. Um, but yeah, overall, I think 
I, I, it is, it's a giant leap from this to Little Mermaid. Huge. It's amazing. It's amazing how much progress they're going to make in a year. Like this is, this is a step down from, uh, from the Great Mouse Detective. Not a huge step down, but a step down. And then you're right. Like Little Mermaid is not even comparable. Yeah. Um, Here's a now, question. to be fair, to oh, be ahead. fair, uh, uh, a good group of their animators were like on Roger Rabbit instead of this movie at that time. Oh, oh, that's true. It is the same year, isn't it, or the year after? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there, there. We had a listener were... on Facebook, by the way, ask if we were ever going to talk about Roger Rabbit, and I guess the answer is no. Yeah, I think. Well, what we had talked about offline, and you can edit this out or leave it in, was uh, Christian Humanist might do it at some point. Um, well, if we ever do, we'll have you on. But that was a that was a Gilmore idea, and he usually does it based on anniversary. And since we've now passed the anniversary of Roger Rabbit, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Yeah. So. But man, I love Roger Rabbit, and it, it, if if Roger Rabbit took the animators away, that makes total sense why this movie is kind of chintzy. Yeah, which it is. I don't know how many it took away, but I know at least um, the guy that I always go to because he's he's both an animator and a blogger. The uh, Andreas Deja or yeah. Deja Deja. I, I, I don't know. I mean, just the most well-spoken guy and loves his craft. Like, I really recommend him to to people. Like, he's got a book, he's got a blog that he does. He's in almost watch, all of the little featurettes on the DVDs. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. If you ever watch a featurette on the DVD, he always shows up because he's so well-spoken and he and he records all this stuff. And he's just such a a student and lover of the animation. So, um, I always go to him to see what you know what he says about. Uh, his time or the production stuff that that he knows in the movies, and and he mentioned in there that he was on Oliver and Company for you know a very very short time, and then uh, he was pulled over to Roger Rabbit. So I assume that he wasn't the only one. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, that, and that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense, and it, it would explain why this movie it doesn't have great animation. In particular, I I don't know if this drove you nuts too. The uh, the characters' mouth movements don't match the words they're speaking. Yes. Yeah, and that seems... that too felt very Saturday morning. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, uh, where really would you put not this? Like, wh- what movie is closest to this in quality of the ones we've watched so far? Well, you know, I was thinking about that. You mentioned the Aristocats a couple times, and I was thinking about that. my kids really like the Aristocats, and the Aristocats is really fun. For as much as I don't like it, like it's a really fun movie. And this movie is just not that fun. So I would say it's worse than the Aristocats. Ooh, see, the Aristocats is the nadir for me. It's the I I I think it's the worst one we've watched. Have I contradicted myself with that? I don't think so. I I know you've been hard on it from from the word go, but I I see. I would put this on the level of Fox and the Hound. Maybe yeah, a little I bit better than Fox and the Hound, just because I like the milieu better. So yeah. maybe the fourth worst one we've watched so far, because I would say the Aristocats is the worst, and then uh, Sword in the Stone, and then yeah, see, but I also really like Sword in the Stone. I really, I, so I'd put I'd put Sword in the Stone much higher myself personally. So, so would you would you say this is the worst one we've watched so far? Hmm, I don't know the no, but because. One of those package films, I can't remember. Yeah, that's one true. Right that's true. Three so Cavalieros. Yeah, three characters. Yeah, that one. 
just remember that there was a listener one time who said, please stop saying that word. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, that one was really bad. And then I think one of the musical ones too, the making melodies or something. I can't remember which one's the really bad, if it's melody time or make mine music. Leaving the package films aside, I don't think they've done anything worse than the Aristocats. I just, I, I hate that movie. Um, and, and I wanted to like it because I like cats and I like France, but mm-hmm. I, man, I hated that movie. And this one I thought was going to be worse than the Aristocats. And I ended up, you know, it's not great, but I ended up finding things to like about it. So like I said, I would put it above Fox and the Hound. Yeah. Yeah, Fox and the Hound. I can't remember. I have to go back and listen to our Fox and the Hound episode. I don't remember where I ended up on that one. I think all three of us were just kind of blah on it. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, definitely, it's in the it's in the lowest tier of movies. I would say <laughs> of the ones that we've seen, it's in the lowest tier. Whether would this it, have been better if it was the Rescuers sequel they had planned it to be? Um, I I still don't understand exactly how that would work. Right. Who, who is who are they rescuing? Jenny, I assume. I assume she'd be kidnapped by Sykes. Yeah. Uh, it would have been too much of a retread, right, if they'd just done it that way. Yeah, because if Jenny gets kidnapped by Sykes... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what that would be. I mean, uh, Maybe, on the whole, I find Bianca it, it would and be, Bernard more appealing than the characters was, in this movie. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say, is that it would be a much, it'd be a much more charming movie, because you'd have Bianca. <laughs> And so. you do have that kind of – it is a similar ecosystem, right? I mean, it, it's it's still – it's not the 70s, but it's still pre-Giuliani New York. So it's still a, a kind of uh, rotten place to live and full of crime. And, and so you get some of that, although I think this is much sunnier than The Rescuers just because it's not from 1977. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can see how it, it would fit nicely into that universe. They just have to come up with a better plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mostly liked this version of New York. For as much as New York is a character in this movie, I I enjoyed it. This this New York for the most part. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I I wasn't expecting it to be quite as grimy as it was, but then I remembered it's not that the '80s uh, changed New York; it's that Rudolph Giuliani changes New York for better or for worse. I'm not taking a stance on that. I know that that's a controversial change that happens when he's mayor, but yeah. Certainly the taxi driver era of pornographic theaters in Times Square is over by the time Giuliani's term ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that's an overall good thing. <laughs> I mean, at least that portion of it. Yeah, it's good that there aren't pornographic theaters in Times Square anymore. Yeah. Whatever else happened. But anyway, this movie this movie feels like an artifact because it's bef- right before that, you know. I, I forget when Giuliani came in, maybe 92. Yeah. Well, and it feels like an artifact because of that 80s cool thing that you That's talked true. about earlier, too. Including the, the boombox playing the rap song that yes. Oliver yeah. breakdances to. Right. Okay, so Michael, can you tell me why doesn't it work in this movie when 80s nostalgia is so high right now? Well, I mean, maybe it goes back to this not being particularly cool even then. I mean, maybe maybe it's just a grown-up's version of what he thinks kids would think was cool in 1988. And at that many layers of remove, it, it just doesn't hold that attraction anymore. Mm. 
You didn't like Jenny's workout gear? You didn't find that nostalgic? <laughs> I don't even remember Jenny being in workout gear. <laughs> when we first meet her, she's wearing like tights and a, and a headband. She looks like she's yeah. from the, a Jane Fonda video or something. I missed it. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that actually goes back to the the fact that the humans in this movie just have nothing to recommend them really. Yeah. All their all their clothing just looks wrong somehow. I don't know. But I mean, at least in her case, it was very trendy clothing, and I think that that's part of her haircut too. Is very eighties. Mm. So I mean, maybe maybe the issue is I'm not nostalgic for 1988 because I don't really remember it. I think most yeah. of the nostalgia right now is really for the nineties. Yeah. Well, I know there was a bunch of nostalgia for like uh, a little while around like, you know, the classic 80s Steven Spielberg sort of feel, you know. Yeah, that's true. Like the um, Stranger Things. Yeah. And just J.J. Abrams in general. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just that it's not a very good movie, and so it, it doesn't, it's not strong enough to make you nostalgic for that era. But then The Rescuers, I would not call a very good movie, and yet The Rescuers feels so charmingly 1977, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah, me either. It's going to be a long time before we're in New York again in a Disney movie, though, isn't it? Um, Are we ever in New York again? Surely. We, we must be. Yeah. But, but not I, for the entire <laughs> 90s. Not so, for the entire uh, 90s. I'm looking at the 90s list right now. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be all around the world, but we are not going to be in New York. Bolt, maybe? I think Bolt takes place in Los Angeles mostly. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, oh, Bolt is New York. You're right. That's because that's where he ends up. He starts in Los Angeles and ends up in New York. So, so I mean, it's, it's interesting that they do these every few years, right? For a while. I guess it's just this and the rescuers. Maybe, um, rescuers down under has a scene in New York. It could be. I would think yeah. so, since that's where the rescue, the International Rescue Aid Society is. But we'll find out yeah. in a couple months. Yep. We'll be doing that one in March. So we're, we're real close to that one. Yep. All right. Well, one thing, one last thing I wanted to say on here, and I don't know if you had other things you wanted to say too, was, um, this again is from Charles Solomon. All ends happily. But the filmmakers recognize that happiness in the 80s doesn't necessarily mean marriage, puppies, or the small-town setting of many Disney films. Dodger and the gang don't give up their street life for licenses and respectability as Tramp did in Lady and the Tramp. If Oliver chooses to stay uptown, that's okay. But Dodger prefers the tacky world of Bowery. The two remain friends because they respect each other's differences. (laughs) You know, that's an interesting point. I kind of like that. Yeah, like I said, that's Charles Solomon, so Not, not original to me. It is a more interesting ending in some ways than Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, keep keep going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just for the the reasons you've said, that the easy thing to do, and maybe maybe what you expect to happen is that Ginny is going to adopt all these dogs, and she doesn't. They come for the yeah. birthday party and then they leave. Mm-hmm. I did feel bad for Ginny having only dogs and a homeless person at her birthday party. <laughs> Surely she has some friends in her in her school, but maybe not. <laughs> I didn't. I did not think of that one. 
But they're too, I mean, they remain who they are, right? They, they, they will not allow themselves to be domesticated the way Oliver is domesticated. Right. Yeah, Georgette really tries with Tito. <laughs> she dresses him up in a little sailor's outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is adorable. <laughs> that scene, though, you don't know what's going to happen because she wants to bring him up to her room alone. And he clearly thinks that he, he clearly is expecting something that is not being dressed up as a sailor. He's expecting puppies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, if that's a good change or not. I, I mean, I think you're right. It's a bit more interesting, but it's also a kind of um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too domesticated myself. I I, I think there's a there's a real joy in settling down and. So, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how I feel about the ending. Yeah, I mean, a, an interesting paper, I suppose, would be charting um, the the differences between those two movies from 19, what is it, 55 to 1988, and, like, the social changes that have happened. I mean, you're after, you're after the big revolution of the 60s, and so, I mean, maybe the noble savage thing uh, makes more sense in 88 than it did in 55. Mm-hmm. 55 maybe 57 i can't remember mid mid 50s yeah i will say yeah. that this movie was a hit i mean not a huge hit but a hit and uh eisner decided because of the success of this movie that disney would release a movie every year from now on which they have uh, more or less kept i mean certainly through the 90s we're going to get one every year which yeah means they missed- this show's going to slow down a little bit <laughs> yeah that's true yeah we flew through a couple decades um yeah they get um they hit pretty much every year they missed 93 lion king must have got bumped yeah for some reason. Well, lion, i think lion king probably took longer to make than they expected yeah than they expected and then they hit it every year until i i, I want to say 2005 or 2006 is when they miss it again yeah well when the studio starts to put out bombs again yeah it's after chicken little after chicken little is when they they slow it way down, but but now we're back to uh, we're back at it. I think I mean they they basically do one a year these days, right? Yeah, well, between them and Pixar. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Pixar I know was doing well. Pixar for a little while was doing more than one a year, but I think their quality went down around the same time. Yep. What goes up there, must come down, right? There isn't there is an upper limit to how much you can do at a high quality level, I guess. So, but the Renaissance starts now, right? Once uh, once Oliver and Company is over. <coughs> yep, um, this is the end of the Dark Ages. So, which I, I think one thing we discovered going through them is they're not as dark as they're sometimes um, sometimes portrayed as being. There's there's some real gems between uh, Jungle Book and Little Mermaid. Uh, and there's some real duds too. Mm-hmm. And Oliver and Company is neither of those things. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere in there. <laughs> it has its moments. <laughs> it's not without its charms. There you go. But hey, a public service announcement: don't feed your cats chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> it's poisonous to them. It's actually more poisonous to cats than dogs. So don't do like Jenny and make oof a la Jenny with. Avec Cocoa Krispies. Don't do it. Oliver would be way dead. Yeah. Ooh. 
That was a poorly animated scene. Yeah, it was. When he's e- when he's eating that food, <laughs> it does, doesn't look like anything. It just kind of moves around in the bowl. <laughs> oh, it's painful. More Saturday morning animation. Yes, more Saturday morning animation. That's right. Bark, bark. Who is this cat? Bark, bark. <laughs> <laughs> so next month we're talking about Little Mermaid. Yeah. Next, yeah, that'll be. That'll be fun. That is, I, I'll have to double check with my parents, or they're listening right now, I'm sure, so they can tell us. Um, I think this is my first movie in the theater as The Little Mermaid. Oh, wow. In 89. But that may not be true. It's at least my first remembered movie. I, would have been, I watched Little Mermaid like 800 times when I was growing up. Yeah. So. Yeah, we definitely watched it a lot in my house, too. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that one. I, I like The Little Mermaid. So. And I think it's my wife's. Um, maybe not. I think my wife's favorite is um, Beauty and the Beast, but she is still very high on Little Mermaid also. So, Very good movies. <clears throat> okay, well, our press liaison is Kristen Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs at christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by saying check it out to us on Twitter. I'm at the alt and at the underscore alt, and Michael is at quellbummer, kelbummer. We want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh Waltman Schofer, and I just want to gratefully say we know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. And hey, there's no time for long goodbyes, but here's something to remember me by, baby.